Welcome to episode 44 of the Redeemed Hearts podcast, where we encourage you to allow God to transform you mentally, emotionally, and relationally by living from your redeemed heart. Your hosts, Worley and Danina Kennedy, are licensed professional counselors and are the founders of Redeemed Hearts Ministries. This episode is entitled Cancer with Christ, Part 1. Worley and Danina have an up-close and personal interview with Danina's sister, Christy Wright, about her 12-year battle with cancer. We believe and hope that you will find yourself strengthened to face the suffering in your own story as you hear Christy testify to the truths found in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Thanks so much for listening today. Here's Worley and Danina. Welcome back. It's good to be back. We have not been recording for a while. We took a summer break on our podcast. And it went a little longer than the summer. It did. Just our own life and our own schedule. But we're here today and we're glad to be with you all as we're starting the month of November. And we want to encourage everyone during this month to focus on what you're thankful for in 2022. Mm-hmm. For the next two podcast, podcasts, we have the privilege to hear from my sister-in-law, your sister, Christy Wright, as she shares with us her 12-year journey with cancer. Christy has encouraged many over the last 12 years through a blog that she has, Rest in Green Meadows at blogspot.com, and also encouraged folks through her team, Christy Prayer Warriors Facebook page, And then just through countless hours of time spent encouraging others in their own suffering. Christy and Danina and uh, Katie and Amy, there's four sisters, have spoken together to cancer patients and their caregivers and are actually right now working on a daily devotional with this content. So we want you to please pray for them as they uh, finalize this project. Mm -hmm. Yes, today, as we even think in November about being thankful, I'm thankful for my sister, Christy, and especially for the last 12 years that we have still had um, together with her. And Christy is the middle child out of five kids, and she's nine years younger than me. And in fact, when we went to MD Anderson in Houston for her very first, you know, very life-altering serious surgery, Um, I got my turn to go in and say goodbye in the pre-op room, and I was the only sibling there, and I felt this great responsibility to represent all five of us in some way. And I also felt like I should say something very, you know, significant or meaningful um, just because of what she was facing. And, you know, this was such a serious surgery, even if we didn't see each other again until heaven. But instead... Of saying something real significant and serious, um, I said to Christy, our family is like an Oreo. Our siblings are like an Oreo. And Amy and I are one cookie, and Josh and Katie are the other, and you are the good stuff in the middle. And we all know that the only part of the Oreo that's really good is the middle, and we don't, we can't live without you. And we laughed, and we cried, and um, we still laugh today that that was my parting words. It was very, very (laughs) profound. It was so profound. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Christy and her husband, Billy, uh, I wanted to share with you, they have a business called Oh Celebrate in Northwest Arkansas, where they help people celebrate life's events through rentals and party planning. And anybody that knows her, she's a perfect person to do this. And she and Billy of her husband and her husband, Billy, um, of 25 years are people that you would want at your party. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And not only are they full of life and know how to have fun, but they have a depth that can only be forged um, truly by pain and suffering. And you're going to hear that today. And it, Christy makes me often think about um, a quote by William Wallace in the movie um, Braveheart, where he says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And if you know my sister, you know she really lives. Even in the midst of, you know, tremendous suffering and life-changing circumstances, I mean, Christy loves people, she lives beyond herself, and she chooses um, to live fully, and she's chosen to do it vulnerably and very publicly. 
And because of that, she's, you know, reached many people, but we just want to thank her for being willing to do that with us today and um, say, welcome, Christy. Yes, welcome, Christy. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. That's, um, it's always encouraging, I think, and inspiring to hear how the battle and the journey has affected other people and how it's encouraged them in their faith and it's inspired them to, to seek out, you know, a closer walk and relationship with God. And um, I just feel, I feel honored that God is using me as a, as a small tool in that way to be a light in a world that feels very dark right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was watching Christy as Danina was relaying the story about you being the good stuff in the middle and there was a little smile on your face <laughs> and a twinkle in your eye. Do you like being called the good stuff in the middle? <laughs> I mean, I always oh, felt yeah. bad for you yeah. growing up because you were caught in the middle, <laughs> but but you definitely are the good stuff in the middle. <laughs> well, hey, we want to start. I, I like to I like to play jokes a little bit about being the middle child, but really, I don't feel like that was a bad place to be at all. So <laughs> it really is okay, but yeah. <laughs> Well, we have some questions and we're just going to go through these and just want you to, this just kind of gives us an outline, some framework to get to know you better and for our listeners to get to know you better and your journey. And we think it'll be an encouragement to whoever listens. So I want to start with a couple of questions, just they're, they're all in the same vein, but want you to give us a little bit of your, your history about when you were first diagnosed with cancer and what type of cancer how long you'd been married at the time, what age you were, your, how old your children were. You can kind of just start us there. Okay, well, I was diagnosed in November of 2010, uh, so almost exactly 12 years ago. The diagnosis came to a surprise um, to myself and to my doctor. It was a very rare cancer called vaginal adenocarcinoma. And at the time, there were only about 50 women in the U.S. that would be given this diagnosis in a given year. Now, I believe that number, the last I heard from a doctor was 250. So still a very small quota of people for them to research and really understand, which means there's no standard of care. Hmm. Um, That has been difficult through the whole time. For sure. At this time of diagnosis, um, or at the time of diagnosis, I just turned 34 that September. And honestly, I had been working out. I'd been eating really healthy. I'd, um, I went to the gym every day after work or on my lunch hour um, that was next door to the office. I felt like I was in the prime of my life, that time of life when you're not so young that you are still gullible about the things of the world and naive, but you have a little bit of understanding and wisdom that goes along with that age, but still physically healthy and able to do the things that you want to do. Um, So that was hard to get this diagnosis during that time. And a lot of people talk about that. And a lot of cancer survivors have guilt about that, that maybe they did something to cause it. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important to, for people to realize that it can happen to any of us, even Mm -hmm. in our healthiest time of our life. I'd been um, married for 13 years. I had a son who's seven and a daughter who's four at the time. Billy had gone back to college after a company restructure, and I was working full-time in sales to as a vendor to Walmart and Sam's Club, and we were active in women and men's Bible studies. We were leading a small group study in our home from church. We were coordinating babysitting, and we needed three babysitters every Friday night to cover the amount of little children that we had in our group. <laughs> Life felt good. Life felt like we were serving, we were living out our purpose, we were using our spiritual gifts, we were financially had just enough to be satisfied. My marriage was good, my health was good, 
My kids were a blast. Hmm. My career was going strong. It felt like life was good and that we should be very satisfied. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Well, so tell us kind of what progressed from there as far as that that first diagnosis and um, just even what initial you know treatments, what treatments you've had to do as you've battled this cancer. So many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, be- as I mentioned, because there was and still is no standard of care for my cancer type, the doctors would say things like, if this were cervical cancer, we would do this type of treatment. Or they did what's called a stain on my initial tumor that they removed, and it was 74% estrogen cells. So they said, you know, if this were breast cancer and you had 10% estrogen cells in your tumor, we would remove your ovaries because you probably are producing too much estrogen. And so with a second diagnosis or a second opinion, um, which I recommend for anybody, for your own peace of mind, and uh, just to make sure you're on the right treatment path, we moved forward in those ways, making assumptions that we were doing the right thing based on what we knew at the time, which was very little about this primary vaginal cancer. Um, a lot of people ask me how I knew about this. Um, and so I just want to answer that question real quick, that it was, um, a, it grew in my episiotomy scar and um, just caused a lot of discomfort in that way for um, um, use of bowels and um, intercourse, things like that. And I think, you know, a lot of people ignore those kind of things. And I just want to put that out there that it's, it's important to pay attention to all those little details and, and see your doctor. Um, so basically since the beginning, I have done chemotherapy twice. I've done rounds of radiation seven times, including something that's called, um, isolation brachytherapy where you spend 49 hours doing an internal radiation in a room protected by boards and no visitors so that they don't get damaged by this treatment that you are just sitting in for 49 hours. Didn't make a lot of sense, but, um, that was, that was a huge piece of it. Um, I've had surgery to remove the original tumor. Um, like I mentioned, they wanted to remove my ovaries and they did. Um, upon reoccurrence, I had a very rare life-changing surgery. It's called a total pelvic exoneration. A lot of people refer to it as a TPE. It requires a year-long recovery. And um, I'll talk more about that later if we get a chance. Then this last May, I had a surgery to remove my adrenal glands that they believed had cancer that had grown into the top of my kidney. When they went in, the radiation damage that had been done there had spread and the cancer had spread, resulting in the removal of my adrenal gland, the top of the kidney, part of my stomach and colon, the pancreas tail, and my spleen. They also scraped and burned my back tissue at that point and... I'm so thankful the doctor was willing to see outside of what he knew based on scans because that did come back cancer as well. On the 14th of this month, I am scheduled to have my remaining adrenal gland removed um, on my right side and am honestly just feeling at peace and um, full of expectancy moving forward into that um, as it's the last remaining active spot that we know of in my body for cancer right now. And Christy, how long uh, were you in remission ever? You know, I mean, you, it it just, it seems like it was always such short times that we kind of could enjoy and celebrate remission. And you may not know off the top of your Mm -hmm head, but it sure seemed short, has seemed short. I mean, really, really just two small um, time 
periods that I can think of. I, I finished up my original cancer treatment in April of 2011. And it, it feels so anticlimactic. You go, they tell you you're going to do all of these different treatments and then you go do them and you're just in, in the war, you know, you're fighting, you're willing to do whatever you have to do to get from start to finish to get to the other side, which I actually told my family, I remember, and I never knew the other side was still going to be going 12 years later, but all of a sudden you're just done and they send you home and then you wait, you know, three or four months before they can scan you and your scans come back. Okay. But it's a little bit surreal to believe that. So that November, I remember getting scans for the second time in 2011 and thinking, okay, it's really gone. They're still saying I'm fine. Um, we celebrated a lot because it had been a year since diagnosis and all the things we'd been through. Um, and so I know that from, you know, May 2011 until I found out that it was back in March of 2012, I lived without any treatment. And then um, I got seven months of a blessed time that we'll talk about a little bit later in 2012 that I didn't do any treatments and felt like I was cancer free. And, and 2016 was a great year. I didn't do much in 2016, but mm-hmm. um, most years I've had to do something as this has spread and is metastatic from the pelvic area to the lungs, uh, to all those places that they took out in May's surgery. Um, it's been in my brain, my neck, my tailbone. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of different places have been treated over time outside of the, the lower abdomen as well. So I want you to tell the audience what, I mean, basically what they have you diagnosed with now. And I mean, because you're diagnosed with stage four. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's, I don't really talk about it. I know. um, Because I don't Mm -hmm. want, I don't want that label to be in my mind, but the reality is that I'm stage four, that there is no curative treatment, that um, I will eventually die of this cancer is what it would say in my file. Mm-hmm. And I mean, tell everyone how long it's said that though. Really since um, we were on a vacation in March of 2012 and I was actually interviewing for a new job and I got a phone call. So I remember the exact moment that uh, they couldn't get a hold of me because I was in an interview and with some executives, I came out on top of the world, thought this job is mine. I blew it out of the park. I go to the car, Billy's standing outside the car, says, I I have something to tell you. And he said, your cancer's back. And it's advanced stage four metastatic and they need to see you right away. And so I've had that diagnosis since March of 2012. So, Mm -hmm. and I just think that's that's significant for you know people as they're listening because um, you, I mean, you have we have prayed and many have prayed for you to be healed from cancer, but God has chosen to you know allow this cancer to continue to be part of your story, but to give you life. with stage four cancer for all of these years. And um, I I just think that's a really significant part of your story. And people are going to hear more as we go on in these next couple podcasts. Yeah, and I, exactly. I want to just... I feel, very, I feel very blessed that God has sustained my life for so long. And it's, you know, there are other kinds of diseases out there. I don't want to just say like cancer is the only lifelong disease, you know, because there's so many people with other types of lifelong diseases that they're suffering mm-hmm. and going through so many medical things that I think can also relate to ongoing treatments and feeling like they will die of their diagnosis at some point. Um, even certain kinds of cancer, right? Like like what our mother had, which we won't go into a lot today, but multiple myeloma, you should be able to live 
with that, you know, eight to 20 years, but um, it's non-curable and ongoing treatment as well. And so I, I recognize that this, this should resonate with a lot of different people, but the hope of the, of the Lord sustaining your life is always there for you to grab and hold on to and um, own in your own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, what I appreciate too, as you were talking and Danina had brought up or asked you about the, and brought up the stage four and, and you said, you don't think that way. And part of our wanting people to hear and know you as we already know you is that how you how you have thought and walked through this because we're we're all going to die we all know that we know God's numbered our days that we're completely in his hands we we should as believers take rest in that but that th- that what you're sharing about your life is how you live with life and the fact that there is a day that's going to come, but that's not what your focus is. And you've inspired us and many because that term stage four is just a term in your world, I w- it would seem. So I, I, I want our listeners to know this is this is part of why we want to share this, because we want people to know you and hear from you and be encouraged by you. And in, in the second podcast, you're you're going to be able to get into more what you've done, even mentally, um, in fighting that battle. So we want to make sure you you all join us for the the second podcast to follow up here. But so so I want to ask a question and just you know to continue here though a little bit different. But how how do you how would you say your cancer diagnosis affected you and your family? Just getting the diagnosis and then and and. I would say with this too, it, you know, this has all happened, you know, over this period of 12 years and things change and you've lived life and things were, you know, positive for a while. And I think there was times where it was, you know, down or discouraging for a while, but it definitely, you know, has an impact. And so I'm curious, how, how would you say it affected you and then, and then your family? Right. It, has changed our life. You know, I think a cancer diagnosis impacts the entire family, not just my husband and my children, but it it affects my parents, my grandparents, um, my siblings and their whole families, my in-laws. Everybody is touched by it in some way because it either is that they're feeling something for me or they're feeling something for my kids or they're feeling something for my spouse or it, they're feeling something for themselves. How cancer and my journey can impact them personally and their own fears are brought forward in that as far as having to live through a loss or watching me suffer and feeling helpless all of those things come to light when you get a diagnosis like this and especially live through it for a long time. Um, I feel like someone facing a hard and scary diagnosis needs family to support them. They need people to fight for them when they're too weak and tired to fight for themselves. And this is something that I've been very grateful for, that I've had a family who's willing to go and fight for me, to do the research, to make appointments, to attend appointments, to take notes, to remind me what I need to do to follow up, to help me take my medicine. Every step of the way, there's been support. And one example that I can think of so much is when I was about to have my total pelvic exoneration. Um, And I'll call that a TPE because that's long going forward. But I had really just resolved to the fact that I had to have this done and I was too tired to fight it. And my mom, Danina and his mom, just could not stand it. It was such a radical, life-changing, body-altering surgery um, where they basically take everything in your abdomen, abdomen, your lower abdomen, and they remove it. 
and scoop it out. And this includes um, so many parts that it leaves you with a colostomy bag for your bowel, a urostomy for your urine. Um, they, t- they take muscles from your legs and they f- put them up as flaps in your ad- abdomen to hold things together. And um, it's something that honestly we couldn't stand to think about. And there was a 50-50% chance of survival, mostly because of infection that can come after they have removed such an absorbent amount from your body. And I was just too tired at the point to keep fighting what they said, but mom just stayed up all night and she would research and try to find every other possible option. And she would call medical facilities and ask them about it and tell them about my story. And um, she wanted second, third, and fourth opinions from all over the place and was willing to call those people and see if they would see me, you know, I was frustrated and I think other people can relate to that because I had to accept it and she hadn't accepted it yet. But at the same time, I look back at that and I think, you know, she had exhausted every other option. And so that helped me to be able to surrender to that Mm -hmm. for myself because we knew there was nothing else at the end of all of her exhaustive research and conversations with people. And she knew there was nothing else at that time also, as much as she hated to see that for her daughter. Um, you know, one thing I want to share at this point is that that surgery was supposed to happen June 5th of 2012. And we had rented an apartment for a month um, to be in another state for that to happen. My doctor had... Um, two GYN oncology surgeons, a plastic surgeon, a a, um, nerve surgeon, all sorts of people. There's 30 people in this room for surgery. And we went in there and maybe Danina remembers the time. I don't since I was sleeping, (laughs) but um, I think it was like five hours with the head of pathology and they sliced tissue very, very thin thinner than paper and could not find any invasive surgery, just the size of a pencil eraser tip. And the doctor had to swallow his pride and say, I'm wrong and abort that surgery and send everybody home. And, um, that is the seven months that I got to have. I was not working anymore. I got to have my first summer at home off with my kids, um, spend a lot of time with them, spend a lot of time with my husband. We grew a garden for the first time. It was a, a gift of time. Mm-hmm. I eventually did have the TPE done January 31st of 2013. And I still remember that because of the infection afterwards that you, Danina, and our other sister, Amy, had to sit with the doctor and hear that I might not make it. Mm-hmm. And you carried that. You carried that on behalf of our family until... I was well enough that people knew I was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And that's a piece about family that they have to go have those hard conversations. Even when I still needed to hold on with hope and never think that I wasn't going to make it, you know, and nobody in my family ever made me feel like I wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm. They all came in with hope and faith that you're going to make it. We're just going to do the next thing. And um, that helped me through an incredibly hard year after that surgery. Um, After that surgery, my family also took turns caring for me. Go ahead. Well, that, that surgery too, just the, um, I'm trying to remember if it was 16 or 18 hours. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. But I mean, it was that long of a surgery and different surgeons were in and out all day. And, you know, what I remember is we're sitting in this waiting room at five 30 in the morning and at MD Anderson, and it's just places are filling up. I mean, the waiting rooms are all filling up all day and other families are coming and leaving and coming and leaving. And we're the last ones. Well, and I remember that it wasn't just that, but then because it was so long, we actually went to another part of the hospital to wait as you came out of recovery and they didn't even have the lights on in that waiting room because everybody had gone home. Yes. 
And so we had gone through that all day of waiting. And then, you know, you start out with just kind of some enthusiasm and then you watch people come and go. And, and so just the being together with others who are, you know, praying and talking and so forth. I mean, that's part of what happened, you know, while you're in surgery that we were all very engaged, but tired, but relieved when you came out. But then I think we, the, all of us that were there, we remember just being so grateful you were through it. And then also we could go in like two at a time to see you and terrified to see you, mm-hmm. you know, because it was such a major surgery. And and there were just all those different emotions um, with that. Yeah. And the beauty in all that as you're talking, I'm just thinking, and I appreciate so much how how you talk about that it was it was you didn't do it alone. There are others with you because because um, and you said you didn't have the energy, mm-hmm. and your mom kept going to the point where you were kind of like, okay, you know, perhaps. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Just uh, you know, maybe she was going on too long, but but re- the reality was somebody else you know, and their, who they are as a person. And of course your mom, that is who your mom is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and she just was thorough about anything like that. And that you need, we need other people to be able to go through anything. So I just appreciate your emphasis on that. Well, and the caregivers need other people. And that's just also, I remember that day. I mean, honestly, I would say as we were waiting, we were all quite amazed at the supernatural peace we had. Yeah. It was just very sobering yeah. as people are leaving, they're shutting the lights off and you have been in surgery that long and we have been waiting that long. And we had so many people praying and texting us and we had people travel to see us in the waiting room and, you know, just to encourage us as caregivers. So that, um, it just we we saw God show up that day as caregivers, and we also you know saw people show up for us as caregivers. And that was so important. You know, there's pieces where I just was able to, you know, I was taking medication and I was able to sleep, and you guys still had to live through all the moments. So it's a big piece for the caregivers. And you know, Worley, I'll just. I have to share this because I'll never forget it and I love it so much. But when I was, you know, mostly in a coma almost and they wouldn't let me eat or drink or even have ice chips and you had to head home and you came in and and you were telling me, you know, Christy, I have to go, but I love you and I'll be back. And, And I just remember that I, I spoke something to you. And later you said, you said, Christy just told me, um, I try, I try. And, <laughs> and later we realized that we shared that story together. And I said, no, I was saying I'm dry. I'm dry <laughs> because my mouth, <laughs> my mouth had to be swabbed by those little lemon swabs or whatever. And it would just get so dry I could almost feel like I was going to swallow my own tongue and so it's just hilarious that in that moment um you heard hope right you heard <laughs> she's fighting she's trying she's, in, she's encouraging me which is my spiritual gift I would like to encourage you Worley but um uh, I was on the mountain but, but it was just I, I love- yeah, no, I was on a mountaintop because <laughs> nobody else had gotten you to engage with them like that. So I I thought I was special. And then later found out, no, yes, you were special. She, she's dry. But mm-hmm. no, it's a is a funny story. And it and it was hopeful to hear mm-hmm. that you, you know, and maybe God gave that to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, just knowing that you were. Uh, you were doing doing all you could do in that moment. <laughs> Funny story. Yes, yes. 
Was there anything else on that as far as affecting the family? Are you? You know, just uh, I feel like there's an important piece as caregivers that you're making a choice. I think there's so many people who feel afraid to enter into that suffering with with the person, you know, who has cancer or disease or whatever it is that they're suffering with, um, whatever their trauma is. People tend to feel like they need to not step on toes. They need to not give opinions. They want to give them their space. And I think it's so valuable to see that our family, and I think that's why people followed our story so much, that the family, not just my siblings and my parents or my in-laws, um, you know, on Billy's side, but also, you know, like I was saying with you, Worley, um, my brother-in-laws helped. My nieces and nephews got involved. People were making the choice to be present and available. And that went on for a long time. And you guys definitely needed caregivers for that to help with your children and things at home as you came and basically took care of me and my children around the clock for almost five months after that surgery, because I couldn't drive. I couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. I was barely eating. I was just very, very sick. And it was, I'm so grateful that I had a family that made the choice to enter into the suffering with me because a lot of people, I think, try to keep their distance and they feel like that's helpful, but it really leaves that person who's suffering feeling more isolated and alone in it. And so it's important for people to realize that we need our caregivers and we want you to step in and we want you to walk the road with us. Um, even though we have Jesus, right? Like I always say that I walked down that hall to surgery and I reached out my hand and I said, okay, Jesus, hold my hand. It's just me and you. And there are times when it just has to be just me and Jesus. But most of the time there can be family and friends who come and circle around and strengthen and hold up our arms when we're just way too tired. Mm, good. And one thing I was thinking about, too, is you often, you know, think about that as far as praying for and Jesus being with the, you know, the person who's ill, um, the cancer patient or whatever it might be. But as caregivers, we also got to see God show up for us and his grace be sufficient for us. And in our family in particular, we're all you know, just wired and gifted very differently, like it would be in any family. And I think um, we all, you know, brought different things to you and to your family with how, you know, how we were wired. And, um, but we also saw God show up for us. And I happened to be the one staying in the hospital with you at MD Anderson when they wanted to do all the training on the urostomy and colostomy and how to change the, you know, put that, put those on and how to change that. And we have some stories we're not going to share about all that <laughs> between us <laughs> during that time. But, you know, I remember that ostomy nurse, you know, teaching me because you had to lay flat on your back. You couldn't learn then. So we had to learn how to do that. And, um, I remember thinking in my head, I can't do this. I can't even stand to see that this has happened to her, that they have done this to her. I can't handle thinking that she's going to have to live like this. And, you know, God helped me. And he did. And he helped the rest of us as you went home. We all had to, you know, learn how and help to do that. And, you know, Katie, who never thought she could give a shot and, you know, hurt, <laughs> wanted to hurt anybody, learned to give a shot, you know, but I mean, all all of us, I think, uh, as I think of back, just gave different things to you. And when we needed God, he showed up for us as well. So it, it, it grew our faith as caregivers, not just having to entrust you to God and your life to God, but also um, for us to do things we never thought we could do. That would have been easier to say, nope, that, that's not me. I can't do it. Well, and I, and I think that, you know, in, during the surgery, the major surgery, you know, I went 
I was there and went and picked up Billy at the airport and remember the conversation. I can tell you what we still talked about driving from the airport to a hospital and just engaging him on what, what was going on and what it was like. And then, you know, he of course couldn't be with you all the time, every minute he, he would, I think would have liked to, but he needed to be able to go home and sleep. And it always impressed me how your parents were there and um, your dad who would, you know, rub your legs um, because of cramps and, you know, mm-hmm. was it the feet, mm-hmm. but just that, that it inspired. And, you know, there's an, there's an inspiration when you see somebody else doing that. It's like, well, what, what can I do? I want to do something. And, you know, I'm sure in the middle of that, when your parents were up there, uh, you know, Billy and I both being cowboy fans, you know, probably caught a game. I, <laughs> I don't remember all that. I just remember being at the apartment and, <laughs> And you were at the hospital and and there's a little bit of hangout time. Now he was he was he was not as normal cowboy fan because he was up and down and anxious about you. <laughs> but um, you know, I just think that that and somebody was watching your kids at that point. I don't remember who, but somebody well, did. Katie and Amy and Josh um did that a fair amount. And yes. then Leona and Right. Phil. And Phil. I mean, yeah, Leona and Phil, my mother and father-in-law came up and um, everybody just took turns, you know, and at the time of the surgery, then we had progressed. Right. So I had the surgery on my daughter's seventh birthday and that was super hard, but that was the only day available. Um, And neighbors and friends all came and brought her. I think she had two cakes and couple of candy bouquets and lots of balloons. I mean, she was spoiled rotten that year. Um, and her, her aunts and, and uncle just all took very good. They took very good care of her. And then my son would have been a 10 at the time. So they, um, they needed a lot of attention and somebody that was in tune to them and their feelings as well. And God just provided that. And, Everybody entered in where they were needed and they entered into uncomfortable, like you were mentioning, Danina. You had to choose to say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's very uncomfortable, but she needs my help and I'm going to do it. And I think making a choice like that is is so loving. It's exactly what God has called us to do, to love others um, in a way that is so much bigger than ourselves. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Well, as we finish this first podcast, um, we we want to end here with asking you, I mean, where are you at currently? And you shared a little bit this at the beginning, but you know, basically what are the doctors and God saying to you about your next step here as you go on the 14th to have this other adrenal gland removed and, um, I mean, what do you, where are you at at this point in time? Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I live very much in the present. And so what God's speaking to me about right now is so relevant and exciting. I will start out by saying two years ago during the COVID pandemic at the very beginning, you know, all the churches were closed down and we decided to start watching church on TV. And there was a preacher that was talking about the Israelites and how they were wandering in the desert. And at 38 years, God finally came to them and said, you've wandered long enough. And he started making preparations and pointing them toward the Jordan um, to be able to go to the promised land. And um, I felt in that moment that God said to me, Christy, you have wandered in the desert long enough. And I got so excited about it. I was like, now is the time, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, spring of 2020. And I'll tell you, things got worse, not necessarily only in cancer, some in cancer, but some in just life in general and with family and friends and a very, very hard year, a couple years. But here we are two years later, and I'm still thinking about it. And I'm thinking it took two years before God started directing them to, um, or, or let them start moving toward 
the Jordan and arriving to the promised land. Not all of them, obviously, um, very few, but um, I feel like it's been two years. I have that on my mind. And then also this spring, I listened to a sermon about the woman who was hemorrhaging. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and she made her way through a very unwelcoming crowd, right? She was not a Jew. Um, she was not welcome where Jesus was and she was frowned upon and she was considered dirty and unclean. And yet she forced her way through that crowd and reached out and touched the hem of Jesus. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And of course the disciples are like, well, it's really crowded. Everybody's touching you, Lord. And mm -hmm. he says, no, who touched me? And she has to admit in front of that very unwelcoming crowd, it was I. And Jesus turns and looks at her and says, you know, daughter, um, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That comes from Mark 5, 34. And I have just claimed that it was 12 years and I am at 12 years. And I've gone to the elders of my church um, and told them this and claimed this for myself. And um, that here we are at our 12th year. We're two years after. God told me that I could quit wandering in the desert. The elders and our pastor have prayed over me. They have anointed me with oil in front of my friends and family, which comes from uh, James chapter five to do such a thing. Um, and we were prepared. I was going in to have an, another surgery in October and came down with an illness that affected my respiratory system. And the surgeon said, we shouldn't do it. It wouldn't be safe at the time. And as disappointed as I was in that, because you don't want to go any longer than you need to, thinking that the cancer might spread, they called to reschedule. And now I will have a new CAT scan on November 9th. November 9th, 2010 is the exact day that I had my surgery to remove my original tumor. And That's on November 14th, Yes, it is. And on November 14th, I'm rescheduled to have my surgery to remove my remaining adrenal gland. And it will be at least a one night overstay in the hospital. So I could come home on the 15th. November 15th is exactly 12 years from the day that I was told you have cancer. Mm. And November 15th of 2022, 12 years later, could be my first day cancer free. And I feel like God is saying, do it, be excited about it. And, you know, only God can orchestrate this kind of timing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have tried to get it on these days. They called me and said, these are the days we have free. I hope that works for you. I'm like, yeah, I stand <laughs> amazed with a lot of expectancy. <laughs> I, a lot of expectancy that he's going to be faithful to complete the good work that he has begun in my life and in my family's life, my husband, my children, you all, my siblings, you know, um, and the people who have been so faithful to be my prayer warriors along this journey. Mm -hmm. That's just such a, a powerful story. And I know this is where I was saying at the beginning that you have shared vulnerably and you've shared publicly and boldly um, about, you know, what you believe um, you know, God is doing. And so our audience gets to join you in that, in this podcast. And I think that's exciting, really exciting. Yeah. You know, yes. the podcast, the podcast is audio, but I wish people could see you as you're telling us this, you have a beautiful smile. <laughs> you're glowing as you talk about, you know, the, this, this walk with the Lord that that you're doing and 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 giving Him honor for what He's doing, but um, just really really meaningful to mm -hmm. sit here. I wish I wish people could see it, but they're going to hear it, <laughs> and we're glad for that. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah, yes. What, well, thanks for it, having me, allowing me to share. Yes, and and what we would like is to ask our audience if you 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 when when you hear this, if you'll be praying. For Christy, as she has 
surgery on November 14th, as mm-hmm. she mentioned, and just pray for her and, and Billy and their whole family. And we're also asking that God would redeem November. It's a significant month and, and just that he would really redeem that for, for Billy and Christy and their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm going to say a little prayer just while we're on the on on being recorded here and uh, then we'll look forward to visiting again father we just thank you for our time we thank you that you are constantly at work and we're catching up to what you're doing and you're just so kind and and wise and 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 loving and i thank you that you made a choice that 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 you choose to enter in into our darkness uh, and have saved us. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, that you would, they would, they would hear that and respond to you, Lord Jesus, for what you chose to do. And then, um, Lord, I thank you that you, uh, have just given us this time today to be able to hear from Christy. Lord, we pray you'll use this, um, in those ears that you would have to hear it. Um, Lord, we uh, we love you and we give all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'd ask you to join us next time. It's going to be roughly in a week. Uh, but just watch, watch your feed and, and we'll post on social media when the next one's going to post. And in our next one, we're going to ask Christy to share with us just what um, she's done mentally, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually to help her through this journey, as well as some practical things that others have done to help her and her family. So we will look forward to being with you next time. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Christy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us today on the Redeemed Hearts podcast. Part two of Worley and Danina's interview with Christy will be up early next week, so keep a lookout for that. And we pray that today's episode brought you hope and encouragement. If you are looking for more content from Worley and Danina or want to reach out and contact us, we encourage you to visit redeemedheartsministries.com. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts and share this episode on social media. Have a great week and God bless.